0: Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast, presented by Sujo Organic. Excited to have my guest, and Andrew Stallings, founder and president of the Othello Group. We'll get into Andrew's background, experience, how he got to where he is today, his, his experience across the agency world, the brand world. We'll start with uh, a little bit of his experience in the Sirius XM world as well. Uh, I have to, I have to touch on that one, but uh, nonetheless, we'll talk a little bit a little bit about creative brand development. Um, some con- consumer behavior and, and, and so on. So Andrew, nonetheless, welcome. Hey, I appreciate it, Jake. Thanks so much for having me, man. Okay, so I teed it up a little bit. You started off a bit of your career being a serious XM radio producer. What, how did you get into that? What was it like? What were you doing? Um, someone thinks about producer, like, were you running the show? What, how, how does that
1: work? yeah, so it's it's kind of a funny, long winded story that that defines a little bit about who I am uh, in a lot of ways, but I'll, I'll try to keep it as concise as possible. So, um, if you take a look at my Instagram bio, um, you know, I, I updated it a few months back, and you can see that my my things that I kind of hang my hat on is the fact that I got rejected from like eleven schools and universities when I was applying to college. Um, you know, I got caught going 102 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour speed limit zone uh by six state troopers one time. And then on top of that, um, you know, I, I pretty much was fired from several jobs, like whether they were part-time jobs or full-time jobs and stuff like that. Um, somehow still made it. So, you know, by that definition with Sirius XM, you know, it was. The last night before, like the evening before the deadline of going into my senior year at college, and I went to Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia, and we had to have an internship to graduate. Of course, in today's world, I've even seen it with a lot of other students, you know, they, people say you have to do something, you know, it's like you need this to graduate, I feel like more than ever, we're challenging authority and we're challenging like the the what ifs and what you tell me and this and that. Um, So they don't panic as much, right? You tell me this back in 2008 that I need something to graduate. I'm like, oh my gosh, like my life is ruined. Like I'm going to be working in this place and this place. I'm going to be cleaning cars the rest of my life. Oh my God. And, you know, all that to be said, you start going through the motions of it. What ultimately ended up happening was after applying to, I think, 75 different internships and either not hearing back or going through the interview processes and hearing no, SiriusXM hit me up at eight o'clock at night, the night before my deadline. And it was a guy by the name of Ross Herosian, who I still keep in touch with today. He said, hey, we have a pretty extensive internship program. We have one intern that dropped out. So I have one slot open, saw your, you know, uh, application. Do you want to come in for an interview? And I was like, interview me now. (laughs) I'm like, I'm ready to go. Like, let's do this. And they were ultimately able to fast track it. And I got my internship at the 11th hour and started off there as a sports programming intern. Uh, I was a board operator, which means that I sat there, ran the controls, learned the audios, a lot of av and engineering you know that goes behind it um you know and, but it was very very humbling and enlightening to the point of what you were just bringing up Jake which is there's so much more behind the scenes in the world of sports like how does the machine operate like how does one wheel turn the other and i got to really see it from the media side just from the you know engineering you know the facilities side of it the operational side of it it was very 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 eye opening because that ultimately put me into a position to build a great network of people in other areas. You know, again, I would be going into studio at three or four in the morning. I can't just call my boss who's normally in there from nine to five. Like I had to become best friends with the overnight people and the, you know, the people that weren't so social, like there was an incredible experience for me to be able to learn just interpersonal communication skills Learning how to get what I want from different people, a lot of exploratory things and happenings. Um, but I ultimately ended up working my way up from uh, internship to part time to full time by the time that I graduated. Um, even as I was doing full time work there, I was bartending still uh, most nights. You know, I was bartending from 4 or 5 p.m. until 1 or 2 in the morning waking up, having to be in studio by three or four in the morning until about 11 a.m. The next day, I would come home, sleep two hours and do it all over again. Um, And I did that for about four or five years after school, while also coaching women's high school basketball, while also doing freelance writing and journalism for Washington Post, Times, a lot of freelance blogs, what have you. So I always had a whole bunch of different things going on. It's kind of the way that I've worked as I've gotten older, I say older now at 34, but you know, I'm sitting here and I'm just like, you know, I do that now. And I'm just like, I need a nap. I need a nap by like five o'clock most days, but it's, it's a hundred percent something that has fueled me to where I've gotten to be today is the beauty of doing a whole bunch of things at once and not becoming a Self proclaimed or even community proclaimed expert by any means in anything that I do. I always can learn more. I always can learn more from people in different aspects and areas. And it's kind of what has put me into a good position to know a lot about a little or know a little about a lot in in a lot of ways. There's so many directions I could take this conversation, but. um you only said 30 minutes that's the bad part i know i know i know
0: well that, that's how these things work you know people who can talk it's that's the challenge It's not can you be on a podcast it's like can you limit yourself to 30 minutes um when when you think about you you said something at the very beginning i was like oh that's kind of interesting what do you hang your hat on right it was like what do you want people to know you for as opposed to, because you mentioned early on, hey, I got fired from multiple jobs, I got rejected from these universities, which, by the way, context, because uh, there needs to be context for everything. Did you get rejected by like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, like all of the Ivy Leagues or, or what?
1: I wish, I, I wish. It, we're talking D2, D3. And I, I think even at sometimes community colleges were, were like, yeah, you know, I don't know, like, maybe, maybe not. So it was, it was, it was one of those things where I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I I did get accepted to some schools along the way. Um, but I, I think the majority of schools that I got rejected from they they were not, D one powerhouse schools in the ACC or SEC. Um, like we're they were mostly Virginia based and North Carolina based schools. Um, that you know, again, we're, we're good programs, and again, have evolved significantly since the 2006 time zone. But it, I still was in a position where. Uh, you know, it was demoralizing in a lot of ways. Like all my friends were going to UVA, Georgia Tech, and all these other places. And I'm sitting here like I couldn't get into, you know, Averett University and Bumble F, you know, Western Virginia. So it was, it was a little tough, but I, I just, I always, my, so I guess to be back a little bit more, I, yeah, when, when, when you think about what you're hanging your hat
0: on, right? Cause a, a lot of people will say, oh, well, I work here and they insert logo right? And like, that's, that's the main part of their identity of what they hang their hat on or, or, and but then you, you talked about different things that make you up or, or, or even like the speeding thing, the instances that go, yeah, this defines my personality of who I am, who Andrew is.
1: Yeah, I I don't think there's any one thing. And and I struggle with, I, you know, I've done several podcasts in the past. and, And one thing that does, Continuously come up is, you know, like, what is your brand? What defines you? And, you know, like, where, like, what would you label yourself in one word as? I, the only thing I do know is what I am not. And, and that is things like a self proclaimed expert or somebody that will be the loudest or most cocky person in the room. I, I have an adaptability, you know, uh, element of me that I think has served me very, very well over the years in, in learning and adjusting and listening, you know, in a lot of areas. I think it, it, it kind of sounds cliche and tacky, but you can be whatever you want to be in any room that you present yourself in, you know, whatever room you find yourself in. Right? For me now what do I label myself as? I'm a husband. I'm a father. I am a business owner. uh, I'm an agent and a manager. Uh, I am looked at as a source of knowledge and wisdom and resource for many, many people in my circle and beyond. I guess that would be the short answer. But where all of that comes from is what hats have I had to wear over the years in order to get here? Uh, I have been in you know, a, a radio producer for nationally syndicated programs and broadcasts, I have worked on some of the biggest global sponsorship activations in the world with FIFA and Budweiser and Corona and the World Surf League, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit, Lexus, MasterCard. I've I've worked on and run many, many of those programs, um, you know, and I've also done sampling and wore a promo T-shirt and poured whiskey into little sampler cups and handed them to people at a local liquor store in Bumblefuck, Arkansas. Like, you know, I've done all of those jobs and those roles. Each one of those hats is holds a different story behind it. And, and I would say, for me, I should be sponsored by Lids because I have worn so many hats over the years that my collection in my closet is insurmountable. And I go back often and I sometimes like to put on those new hats every single day to apply them to what my current role is and how I can go and continuously learn and evolve in what I do and how I can help others, how I can help athletes and how I can help young minds every single day. So truthfully, Lids, if you're listening, what's up? Let's talk. Come on, Jake, you know people. Hey,
0: hey, there's, there's, there's other hat companies other than just Lids too. We might have to get a little bit more niche and uh, a little bit more fancy in a way too you know
1: I'm I'm down like that'll
0: fit the personality but (laughs) uh, you know someone would start listening to this and they go well what's the Othello group like what do they do what you know what does Andrew do and I would love to dive into that of just a kind of some of the people you work with kind of what what is the the essence of the group and what it does uh, whether it be you know, brand development for, for athletes and, and kind of the management piece of it, um, player marketing, you know, programs, promotions, et cetera. So um, what is it? And, and, you know, if someone's listening of like, oh, that's an interesting space, like I want to know more,
1: what are the areas that you, that you kind of live in each day? Totally. So in short, Othello, which I, I give you credit out of the gate because most times, uh, anytime I get on or a conversation, someone's like the Athleo, the Athelio, the Othello group, uh, they're falling into my marketing trap out of the gate. And it's a very difficult word to pronounce, even when you look at the spelling. Uh, And it's kind of my, it leads me to explain the correct pronunciation and what it truly means out of the gate. Othello is a made-up word. It's a run-on between athletes and opportunities. It's smashed together to make one funky little run-on word that most people can't pronounce uh, nine times out of ten. So it leads me to always having this discussion. But the the culmination of how this came to be was about four and a half years ago. Uh, you know, I was working at, at an agency at Octagon at the time, transitioning over to another agency, and I was playing in a men's league hockey tournament. Two of my buddies who were also in different marketing jobs, uh, copywriters and designers in their respective craft, they were, you know, again, we're working 18 hours a day, we're making our 50k a year, nothing's changing, we're hoping and praying that we get our 2% bonus at the end of the year, you know, but we're like, man, like, it's kind of at that time where you're just getting hammered into like, you need a side hustle, you need a side revenue stream, like you need this, you need this, you need to be planning for the future. And, you know, we we started talking and thinking about, like, what is something that we could do to stick it to the man? Like, what could be our thing? What's our little, you know, like, ha-ha lemonade stand moment? And ultimately, we realized that through my community, like, I knew a ton of professional athletes. Um, Again, both close relationships, as I I would call them friends, other ones, acquaintances uh, that I've had with agents, brands, other people over the years, Uh, and it was ultimately like, okay, let's do an audit. Like, let's figure out like where are athletes struggling right now? Like where across the board, where are they struggling? So I think we, we surveyed around like 30 or 40 athletes of people that I knew in the span of two months. And it was like, Hey, you know, like fill out the survey, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the one thing that we came to a realization was resources. And and I think now, you know, again, as we sit here in 2022, It's it's prevalent because athletes are speaking up on the fact that they don't have the resources, or they're outwardly going to find it, and they're using their voice to to kind of amplify the opportunities that can come with them. So it's not you know it's it's not so much taboo anymore, but back then it was okay resources. But I kind of thought ahead. I was like the NFL, the NBA, the MLB guys, like they could get them. They have the bank accounts. They have the team deals. They have the opportunities to have lawyers and finance people and marketers and blah, 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 blah. But what about the rising sport properties? And it was right around that time that I was working with the World Surf League a lot. And I was understanding the true value and upside and potential that that property has. And even looking at NASCAR, like the massive buying power of fans in NASCAR to support their driver is huge. Like, If you have an affordable product and you're not in NASCAR or in motorsports or in that fan base in any capacity, I would love to take 20 minutes of your time to show a case study as to why it can be. But, you know, I was looking at these hyper dedicated fan bases and audiences, and I'm like, why are the athletes not being able to benefit from it main reason is that. Too often we see that the agents are just sitting there. They're typically black and white lawyers. It's like this. Like, what? What are we doing? You know, like I'm just gonna check the box. We move on. Um, they needed somebody that understood both sides of the equation. The brands needed help understanding that they didn't have to always spend five hundred thousand dollars at Super Bowl for one tweet with Tom Brady. They could take $50,000 and sign five of the biggest volleyball players in the world at the time to do unique and creative activations that would really amplify, you know, uh, what they were doing. On the other side, the athletes, you know, again, they couldn't expect that the brands were going to, I'm sorry, that the uh, the agents were going to be able to get super creative and really understand or even take the time and bandwidth to go back and forth with the brand to understand what is a very unique and dynamic partnership that may not have seven zeros tied to it, but something that can ultimately grow and evolve to be that, right? Like they didn't want to think like marketers. So over time, you know, I was on my, you know, we we were about maybe a year into it. I was over at Constellation Brands uh, doing field marketing in the Northeast. It was still a side hustle. One of my honeymoon came back, found out I was part of a 90 person layoff, uh, set a very aggressive goal set uh, for myself in the span of the three months I had severance for. And I, it was a, it was Kilimanjaro in total, in total to figure out what these goals were in order for me to go out on my own and make a fellow group a thing. And I remember as the last two weeks leading up to my three-month mark, the last thing I needed to do was buy out my business partners. And luckily, we were able to come to an agreement, kumbaya, and I was able to move forward and, and take it to the next level. And you know, here we are today, four and a half years into it, we got about 25 athletes that I managed directly uh, exclusively on Retainer. Uh, and then about 125 to 130 different brands, agencies, and properties on Retainer that We're doing sponsorship consulting for, we're doing, you know, digital marketing strategy. We're, you know, helping out with their athlete and influencer recruitment and management models. Um, So a lot of it's, you know, it serves both athletes and the brands and properties that we work with. Uh, You know, we have a pretty lean team, uh, but at the same time, uh, Rome wasn't built overnight. So there's a lot of restless hours still and 18, 19, 20 hour days. But the good thing is, is that when you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it for your team that you feel very passionate and hungry about, um, everybody wins. So it's it's really important to, to make sure that you always remind your team, your athletes, your clients, and everybody why, your why and why you're doing it, why you feel a certain way. And you never lose sight of that. You know, I always am looking back on where I was four and a half years ago to think about what brought me to this moment today. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of people that told me no. It's a lot of, it's the few people that told me yes and gave me opportunity, uh, even against their, you know, better judgment or chagrin. They, they gave me those opportunities. And for me to capitalize on them and to ultimately pay that forward, uh, I spend probably just as much time on the phone with clients and athletes as I do with prospective interns and people just coming out of college that are still lost in figuring out what it is that they want to do. And I spend hours each week doing my absolute best to pay that forward because without the people that paid it forward to me, I would have no idea but the hat collection would not be big. Let's just say that you would uh, you'd be searching for hats to cover, to cover the the bald spot. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. exactly. Uh, the, the hair that was on fire as you were running around with all of, you know, the different jobs that you were doing and not having any sleep, um, which sounds like, you know, just maybe a different context, different, uh, different time allotment, but that's still going on. I think the interesting thing is, you know, when you sit back and you think about, okay, who is that who is that person that started the momentum train, right? Who was that first athlete, that first brand, that first client? Um, and, and look, it could have been a group all at once, right? But there's always usually that start of, okay, here we go. Uh, what was that? Who, who was that? And what was that moment like?
1: Yeah, so when I was working with uh, Corona and the World Surf League over at Octagon and overseeing that relationship, Um, I was in charge of managing at the time Corona's new sustainability relationship with Parlay for the oceans and, and kind of building out their mission statement and strategy, working with all of their other agencies. Like I was the lead uh, project manager for, for that growing relationship. The first thing that we did was we went to a very, very Southern indigenous island in the Southern atolls of the Maldives for about three and a half weeks with Chris Hemsworth, MIA, Diego Luna, and a variety of other niche celebrities and influencers in the global sustainability space to host this Ocean School experience on an island. And I'm talking a legit remote island, like things that you would see on TV beyond that. We were in it, like super, super, it took me... 39 hours to get there from New York City to where we were and it was a total of four plane rides and I think three different boats that I had to do to get down to this island. Um, Crazy, like absolutely crazy. The last person that arrived on that boat for that event was a gentleman named Zane Schweitzer. I had no idea who Zane Schweitzer is. You definitely don't know who Zane Schweitzer is. Don't tell me you do, because no one no, knows. Know. <laughs> Unless you are in it in the sustainability space and you're an ultimate waterman um, or windsurfer or kite surfer, paddleboarder, you probably don't know who Zane is. You might know his family. His grandparents were one of the lead innovators of you know wind and kite surfing back in the day. Um, this guy shows up. I think it's three in the morning local time. This I'm seeing this dinghy pull up to this yacht that we're staying on. And I'm like, okay, this must be our last person. It's Zane, Zane Schweitzer. Kid gets off the boat. He has to be 23, 24 years old. Typical Hawaiian surfer bro, you know, just like, you know, aloha, Andrew, how are you? And I'm just like, hey, man, you know, great to meet you. I'm Andrew, blah, 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 blah. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I need to like freshen up. I need to wake up a little bit. Like it took me over 50 hours to get here. I'm like, holy crap, man. Like, all right. He's, I was like showers, coffee. And he's like, no, 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 no. I just need to like, can I, do I have access to the top of this boat? I was like, yeah, climbs up, shimmies up this pole on this yacht, like a monkey goes and does a backflip into the ocean in the middle of the night. Um, but you know, just to wake himself up, this guy was crazy. I spent the whole week with this guy, Long story made short, I spoke to him it, all week and he was just like out me. He's like, you need to be my agent. You need to be my manager. I need a manager so bad. Like, you know, you can do it. You can do it. I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm an account manager in an agency. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't, but he just is like, you know, come on, come on. He kept pushing me and asking me. And he's like, you know, if you ever do it, maybe you can introduce me to people at Octagon and blah, blah, blah. And he started the momentum in my head. I was just like, I remember Googling the minute I got back, like, do I need to be a lawyer to be an agent? And quickly realized, no. Because going because going back to that school thing at
0: the very beginning, that, that was not going to be a good experience or route
1: to start applying no, kind of law school. A- absolutely. Not. <laughs> but, but I mean, to, to, to a good point of what I've learned along the way, I was sitting in rooms with lawyers and brands going over. $10 million property contracts and red lines and procurement and this and that. I learned the school of hard knocks way about brand legalities and procurement and this, this, and that all throughout. Like, so does that make me a lawyer? No, by no means. But I at least can understand when I'm getting, like, when people are going back and forth and explaining, I feel like I can negotiate better because of that. And I understand the back and forth of it with that. And it's still important to note with a fellow group and what we've done now is I have some of the best lawyers on retainer like through different um, law firms and agencies you know all over the world that specialize in different departments I have some of the best tax attorneys finance people in the world all of this would not have been possible without meeting people along the way that have been able to help us build what we are being able to build today so do I go into conversations and do I negotiate with brand partners and to do certain things? Absolutely. But do I rely on myself to go in there and say like, Oh, I'll redline this contract, this and that. No, no, I don't do that. Like I have a team to do that, but that all started with hire. Number one, which was Zane Schweitzer. When a fellow group happened, the first athlete that we signed was Zane Schweitzer. And to this day, Zane Schweitzer is still with us four and a half years later. So he's super niche. We've been able to get a lot of opportunities for him and capitalizing on his brand from sustainability and everything as a whole. Um, and the same goes by, you know, my good friend Amir from Zoom that I still talk to every single day. Niches get riches, baby. Like, you know, the more niche that you can go, the more that you can find and capitalize on something is is fantastic, you know. But too, too often. People want to be an NFL agent just because it's the NFL, well, good luck. It'll eat you up and chew you up and spit you out. Um, you have to have thick skin. You want to be in the MLB. I'm sure Jake can tell you it's, it's a cutthroat world. It can be a lot of fun, but you know, there's the bigger, the, the bigger the beast, the harder it is in a lot of ways. So we do not focus or specialize in the core four here in the U S which means American baseball, American football, um, Hockey or basketball like we we just don't do it. Um, There's too many things that I feel like limit us from a just overall evolution standpoint and creativity standpoint. It's not to say that we can't get there, but my dream, and it has been my dream since day one. Is I want to own a minor league sports franchise like what is being done with the Savannah Bananas is something that I wish I could have been at the did forefront you, of. You you Weird know, uh,
0: that when you said minor league sports franchise, the first thing that came to my mind was Savannah Bananas, and then it came out of your mouth. Like I think it's interesting because you just think of of not just the run of the mill, the normal, the you know you know organization, right? It's like who's doing something different, who's doing something unique. You talked about World Surf League. Uh, we've had Johanna Way on the podcast a while back, but she's now doing partnerships over at the Professional Paddleboarding Association, right? So, like, there's different things that pop up. We've had pickleball on the podcast. Like, there's all sorts of these niche leagues. Uh, you may know Gabby Rowe, who was doing maestro sports with a bunch of, you know, whether it was beach, beach volleyball or um you know, these, these different, to your point, niche sports, where you've got a very unique following, right? And these athletes, uh, yes, they may not be signing $325 million contracts, but they're just as impactful to their following as one, you know, another would be in, in their respective sport. And like we said, at the very beginning of the podcast was there's so many different opportunities in the world of sports and entertainment outside of just the biggest brands that you think about, right? And it's not to say that, hey, it isn't great to go work for those brands and be a part of those, right? You did some of that with Octagon and, and some of these big agencies. Where it's unique is that you can still have a similar experience, but in a different lane, and a different vertical. Uh, and, and ultimately, there's a lot more growth opportunity, right? And there's a lot more uh, or I should say a lot less red tape sometimes or whatever it might be um, that ultimately makes that thing go. And Andrew, you're, you know, you're, you're living it, you're breathing it, you're doing it. And it's, it's kind of neat to see um, let's, you know, I, I, we talked about 30 minutes. I'll buy you a couple extra. Um, Cause I got one last question before we head to rapid fire. When you think about uh, who an athlete is right. And, and, and I think about this as I was watching you know, we had Jackson Newsmith from the Spring Hill Company on and uninterrupted. And it was, you know, like explaining, okay, what do they do? How are they trying to bring stories out of out of athletes? And, you know, the Michael Strahan, more than an athlete documentary that came out, super fascinating. You know, you've, you've got the Jeter one that people are watching, right? And and you think about, okay, what is the athlete nowadays, right? Like, how are they more than just whatever they're competing in? And I think that that's part of what you do, right? It's, it's how do you you know, create their brand. Where are they going to hang their hat on ultimately, once they're done playing? Or, you know, are they playing and doing something else on the side as well? Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think a good example is, you know, one of our one of our clients, Danny Spiegel. She's a, a powerhouse CrossFit female athlete right now, and if. You know, if if you've been paying attention to the world of CrossFit in the last year or even five, seven years, you you know who she is, just because of the way that she's unapologetically herself. And I think a good example uh, is what we saw yesterday. Um, a report came out from the Morning Chalk Up, which is a, a pretty well-known CrossFit um, media outlet, and it gave the breakdown of who gained the most followers on Instagram coming out of the CrossFit Games, and you know. Is and it was very, very, very interesting because without question, it didn't surprise me. But Danny, you know, had I think thirty-seven to thirty-eight thousand new followers, even in semifinals leading into the CrossFit Games. What a lot of people aren't talking about is that she gained almost over a hundred thousand followers, you know, leading because of her performance in the semifinals. Was it because of what she did on the playing field? No, it was the swag the style and the unapologetic nature of herself that really brought people and drew more people to her and who she is when she is lifting up weights above her head and it's you know m- insurmountable amount of weight yeah that's impressive but when she sticks her tongue out as she's holding it up and just kind of gives you that smirk like <laughs> like you know I, I know what I'm doing like, That's that's a brand. That's like wow. Like you know that that confidence coming through is is interesting. It leads you wanting more. During the sandbag challenge, during the CrossFit Games, without a doubt, the minute that that competition started, due to Danny's frame and how big her quads are and her lower strength ability, people knew that she was going to dominate that contest. Sure enough, she did by you know lifting you know two hundred and plus pounds over her shoulder and holding it up with a smile what does she say during her post-event interviews? You know, they're like, what do you credit your training to? Like to this win to? She's like, I just, I eat a lot of food. I work really hard and uh, I eat a lot of crumble cookies. And, you know, you sit there and think about that and you're just like, no one else said that. No one else is going there and doing their interviews like that. No one, even the fittest men and women in the world who won the contest, they lack brand in a lot of ways. And the thing that's going to separate those individuals is that, you know, there's going to be a severe downfall in sports like this, where the best of the best may not need a brand because they're the best of the best and they can take that money and repurpose it and put it elsewhere. But number two through 50 in the world of CrossFit are going to have to do a lot more to keep their brand and credibility going beyond, you know, for many, many years beyond what they're doing. Otherwise they're stuck, right? They're, they're stuck to either being a coach or a trainer or owning a CrossFit gym, which like, look, that's fine. If that's what, that's what your dream is, that's all good and well. But with Danny, you know, we're, we're already thinking about the next five years. We're looking at investing into new companies. We're looking at nonprofits. We're looking at starting foundations. We're looking at hosting events and excursions, you know, that are again, completely different than what any other CrossFit athlete is doing right now. It's a slow go. You know, and again, it's tough because the athletes so often they're just used to like instant results, instant gratification. Like if I keep going to the gym three times a day instead of two, then I'm going to be getting three X those results. And that's like, these things take time and it's a right place, right time method. So we always have to kind of be very strategic with how we do it. I will say that I always wish that we could be a bit more efficient, but there is something to be said about when and when not. And the win in the right time, if you hit it just right, it's a beautiful thing. So we we really do try to capitalize on that with our athletes, with our brand partners, and also just building brands and building opportunities. So, you know, again, it doesn't happen overnight And for anybody that is looking for those instant results and acting on those PR and splashable moments. um, You don't always have to do it. You don't always have to be the first Uh, There is something to be said about almost a nostalgic play. You know, how can you bring something back to life that is even three to six months old, right? Like that still plays into quote nostalgia these days. We're not just looking at 30 years old anymore. Three months ago is nostalgia and we're playing into it more than ever.
0: Three to six months being old. Jeez. Uh, That's, that's a different, that's a different perspective. Um, You know, it's, it's incredible just to kind of hear you talk about what, what, thoughts go into building that the brand, you know, the brand that the athlete is and and the personality and so on, um, and and capitalizing on, on that momentum. Right. So, um, all right, rapid fire. Let's, let's get to it. Andrew, what was the one school that rejected you that you were like, man, I wish I could have gone there.
1: George Mason University and it was the year that they went to the final four so I know why Um, I had every reason and opportunity that I should have been could have been would have been there um, including family members alumni connections everything but that was the spring uh, coming out of uh, March Madness that they made it to the final four so they got flooded and I lost my shot. So to this day, I would have loved to have been a Patriot, but I'll settle for being a Marymount Saint for right now.
0: All good. All good. Um, The niche sport that you've worked with an athlete in that you would love to play or be good at?
1: Probably surfing. Um, I've been surfing a handful of times and I think it's let me preface. I'm from a beach town, like Virginia beach area. Like I Newport news isn't so much a beach town, but I went to the beach was around the beach my whole life. So I've been around the water, but still to this day, my biggest fear and phobia in life is like being dropped in the middle of the ocean. And then just left, left there, like in pitch darkness, like in the middle of the night, if somebody ever wanted to scare the living crap out of me, it's, kidnap me, take me on a boat, drop me in the middle of the ocean and drive away. I would, I would just be done three seconds. I'd be like, Nope, not doing this. I'm out. So you're, I get a similar fear in that. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get freaked out about the world underneath water and what's underneath me. But I, I do wish that if I could get over that foam like I love the ocean, I can go in like, you know, flounder around a little bit fine, but I think just going to some of these exotic countries and locations and surfing and like Tahiti and Fiji and Japan, I'm like, I would not be, I, I would not be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to conquer that skill set to be like, Oh, like, yeah, I could be a really great surfer, but I'll go to a wave pool and try. No
0: problem. Uh, that make it or break it documentary on, on Apple was incredible. Really, really cool. Um, all right. Last one for you. You talked about, uh, kind of the, the different athletes that you're working with, but what's the best brand that you've worked with thus far? Uh, and I, or a brand that you
1: don't work with that you want to. Mm. I can't really answer that without probably shooting myself in the foot. Um, I, I will tell you. Actually, I, I'm going to, I'm going to scrap that question. Cool. What's your favorite hat? Favorite hat? Favorite okay. hat. Okay. Um, one of my interns from about two years ago, he was at, he was a hockey player at Syracuse university and he got me this old school custom, like snapback hat. It had a little, it was from the eighties It was the Syracuse orange men. And it was like legit, like an old school snapback hat. I love that thing. I literally have zero ties to Syracuse. I couldn't be further removed from the university as a whole, but that hat for, as the kids say, it smacks, if you will, like it is, it is a cool hat. I love wearing it. I get compliments on it all the time, anytime that I wear it. Um, but I am a big, big fan of Mellon hat company. Um, they were a brand that we worked with for about a year or so. Um, what Corey Roth and, and Brian have done over there is is incredible. their hats are premium, they're great, they're innovative. Um, they're growing you know into a much more you know premium brand that anyone could compete with. Um, if you don't have or haven't tried those hats, they're fantastic like they're a little bit on the higher side you know price wise but they last like I, I beat up hats so much with sweat and everything and travel and what have you uh, and they are, they 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 stand the test of time. They last. Sounds like that's the hat sponsor for you. <laughs> uh, I'll clip. We'll clip this and send this to him, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll throw lids to the side. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, really appreciate the time, thoughts, perspective, insights, sharing your story, your journey. Uh, hopefully an inspiration for for someone who's listening, but also just uh, you know the the insights on the different opportunities that exist out there and how to create one for yourself as well. So appreciate your time on the life in the front office podcast presented by Studio Organic. No, I appreciate it, Jake. Thanks again, man. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.